Good morning, Risen Hope Church family and friends. If you have your Bible, meet me in Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through 31. Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through 41. I'm sorry, 31. And when they were released, that is, Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak the word of God with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I want to preach on the topic, the power of a praying church the power of a praying church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. I have prepared, but I need your Holy Spirit to speak through your preach word in Jesus' name and all the people of God online say amen. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where your back was up against the wall? What did you do when trouble was pressing in on you from every direction? It's like you find yourself in a dark place and the only thing you can do at this point is look up. Trouble in your marriage, trouble on your job, home is a wreck, kids acting crazy, people you love need to be saved. How long, oh Lord, you pray? Then throwing the pandemic, the prolonged nature of this pandemic, playing tricks on you. The polarization of politics pulling on you. The frustration from injustice unsettling you. The separation from people you love eating away at you. It's in these troubling moments we find ourselves pressed to pray like we never prayed before. Or do you find yourself going through the motions, not even praying, just showing up to church service but disengage, engage in church activity but lacking spiritual power, online virtually but disconnected spiritually? Have you ever felt that way? I've been there multiple times over. Let me ask you a question. Might seem elementary though. Do you pray? Do you really pray? Do you know how to pray? Personally, I find myself praying about praying. <laughs> I'm reminded of the disciples' request to Jesus. Lord, teach us to pray, even as John taught his disciples to pray. 
Listen, it doesn't matter how many years you've been saved, it's easy for us to get away from praying. We need to learn how to pray. Amen? I heard of a ship that was sinking in, in the middle of a storm, and the captain called out to the crew and said, does anyone here know how to pray? One man stepped forward and said, yes, sir, I know how to pray. He said, wonderful. You pray while the rest of us put on life jackets. We're short one. That may make you laugh, but the first century believers did not ask for life jackets. They prayed for boldness. They did not pray for God to take them out of the situation, but to deliver them through it. See, when we take an aerial view look at prayer in the book of Acts, you won't see prayer tacked on. You won't see mere formality or routine prayers. But what you will see are fervent, bold, believing, spirit-filled believers who are praying together on mission. And if we're going to be a church like that, if you're going to experience the power of the first century church believers in the way that they prayed, we have to do four critical things these believers did when praying. Number one, these believers raised their voices together in prayer. Number two, they reminded themselves who is in charge. Number three, they recited scripture in prayer. And number four, they requested God to change them and not their circumstances. Number one, these believers raised their voices together in prayer. Verse 23 to 24. And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. These believers raised their voices together in prayer. Rightly so. Peter and John had just went through some major drama. They, they were unjustly arrested, accused and tried and beaten by religious leaders moments earlier for teaching and preaching the resurrection of Christ in response to the lame man who was healed in chapter 3. This miraculous healing had caused such a stir among the crowd that Peter seizes the opportunity to preach the gospel, and as a result, 2,000 additional disciples were added to the church. Well, this created such a major disruption within the religious community. You see, the chief priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees who really didn't believe in the resurrection, that's why they were sad, you see. They, they were the top dogs in charge, and, and no one was going to come into their establishment and take over. Oh, no, Pastor Peter and John, by what power or what authority are you doing this? In what name are you doing this, they said. We're going to get to the bottom of this. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, confronts them by saying, this man is standing before you whole, not because of something that we have done, but because of the name of Jesus Christ. The Jesus you rejected, the chief cornerstone, the Jesus you crucified who is now risen again. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, when they saw this man who had, was healed standing next to them, they could say nothing in opposition and they had to release them. But before they released them, the chief priests and the elders threatened them to stop speaking and teaching in Jesus' name to prevent the spread of the gospel. Can you imagine how diabolical that is? Peter and John, in essence, responds and says, that's not going to happen. 
We are witnesses of Jesus and we will continue to bear witness of what we have seen and heard. This is the kind of drama that drove Peter and John to join their friends back home in corporate prayer. The scripture says they raised their voices together. Togetherness in prayer was a pattern for the first century disciples. It was in their spiritual DNA. Luke records in Acts chapter 1 verse 12, and they, the 11 apostles, returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, and Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers, waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Then, when the day of Pentecost arrived in chapter 2, verse 1, they were all together in one place as the Holy Spirit rushes in and fills Christ's church. And as the church settles into his newfound relationship with Christ, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to the breaking of bread together, to the prayers, which is in the plural, not singular. And on to verse 44. And they were all who believed were together and had all things in common. Can you imagine how much we can accomplish as a church when we come together as believers, united in faith as we pray? Individual snowflakes can accomplish very little when they fly solo. Not many panic when, when there's snow flurries. But what happens when snowflakes began to stick together? When snowflakes began to really stick together, they have the ability to stop traffic and shut down an entire city. <laughs> These first century believers stuck together through prayer, and they saw the power of God in full manifestation. How many of you know that the prayers of the saints have the ability to shut it down? See, we can accomplish more together than we can apart from one another. James tells us the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. That's why these virtual services are good and pragmatic, but they're not adequate long term. We need to be together. Praying together reminds us that we are part of a larger family with a heavenly father who knows our needs and loves to meet them. Notice the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. When you pray, say, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's very hard for us to pray these words in private without remembering that we're all tied together into one body, the body of Christ. When I pray, I'm praying for you. When you pray, you're praying for me. Praying together was a disciple's pattern. The first century disciples did nothing without prayer. Spirit-driven prayer is what fuels and recharges us each day. These believers prayed without ceasing. This was a praying church. And of the three synoptic writers, Luke gives a distinct emphasis on prayer in the life of Jesus throughout Luke and Acts. Jesus was always praying and teaching on prayer in the, in the Gospel of Luke. 
Generally, the Bible records that Jesus was praying 25 different times throughout his earthly ministry in the Gospels. Prayer is so vital to the life of the church that even our Lord Jesus identified the holy temple as the house of prayer in Matthew 21, verse 13. Quoting from Isaiah chapter 56, for my house should be called the house of prayer for all nations. Since prayer was extremely important in the life of our Lord Jesus, then this makes prayer critically important in the life of his church. Just do a study. And trace how many times you see the church on his knees, agonizing in fervent prayer, actively seeking the face of God on the move. The church was built on prayer. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, all these with one accord continue steadfastly in prayer. Acts chapter 1, verse 24, the church prayed before choosing leaders. They prayed for Judas' replacement. Acts chapter 2, these believers were devoted to the word, to fellowship, breaking bread into the prayers. Acts chapter 3, Peter and James were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. And in our current text, they were praying. In chapter 6, the church was engaged in prayer, selecting their first servant leaders as the church grew. Even while Stephen was being stoned to death for preaching the gospel, he fell to his knees and he cried out in prayer, Lord, do not hold this sin against them, Acts chapter 7. Peter and John were praying for this, the Samaritan people to receive the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 8. Peter prayed to raise Tabitha from the dead and she got up, Acts chapter 9. Man, this was a praying church. Peter was on the housetop praying when God revealed his mandate to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 12. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Acts chapter 13. The church was praying together before setting aside the first missions and church planting team, Paul and Barnabas. <laughs> Acts 14. Paul and Barnabas, that the first uh, believers in prayer as they appointed elders in every church. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Barnabas were in prison for the gospel, and about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the, pris the, list the prisoners were listening to them. And on and on in just about every chapter until we reach chapter 28, the believers were bowed in fervent prayer. You see, the New Testament spirit-filled believers were marked by ceaseless prayer. The church went nowhere without praying. The atmosphere in the church culture was filled with adoration of Yahweh. Prayers of repentance and praise, intercessions, petitions, prayers of healing and forgiveness. It was a praying church. Nothing will propel us forward more than cultivating habits of prayer and obedience individually and collectively. When they heard the report, they instinctively knew what to do. They prayed. They didn't call a meeting to discuss how they're going to address the Sanhedrin. No. These believers raised their voices together in prayer. Pastors Pete and John didn't have to tell these believers to pray. The habit of corporate prayer was automatic and passionately pursued. The power of praying together doesn't necessarily have to be in large numbers. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. 
Matthew chapter 18. He is right there in your living room, in your dining room, in your kitchen with you while you're gathered in his name. And he says, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And that includes healing. I recall praying for God to heal me from a migraine headache I experienced three days in a row a few years ago. I didn't know what it was. And my coworker looked at me and said, it seems like you might have a sinus headache or a sinus infection. I said, the devil is a liar. But I, I looked it up, and I looked up the symptoms, and I realized that it was what I had. And this was concerning to me because my father had issues with sinus, so I didn't know if this was genetic. So I called up my doctor, and he prescribed two over-the-counter medications, and he said, if that doesn't work, make an appointment with me. Well, I'm not quick on medication, so I decided to tough it out that day. And as soon as I got off work, I heard that the prayer summit was happening where a number of local churches were gathering, including Risen Hope Church, would be gathering to praise and pray as a family. My wife had met me there. I remember how fatigued I was. My head was throbbing with pain, and I felt like I just wanted to go straight home and climb into bed. But I pressed my way out to corporate prayer. I instinctively knew that I had to get there no matter what. The host at the time was calling various pastors up and ministers to come and pray for different issues impacting our communities. Then one minister got up and called our attention to pray for healing. At this point, I, be I became anxious a little bit. And I, I said, you know what? I told my wife, I said, listen, babe, I need you to put your hands on me because I really want to touch and agree and believe God for healing. And so she grabbed me by the neck gently and, and put her hand on my forehead, and I laid hands on myself. And while we were joined with all the other believers, earnestly praying for healing, the power of God was released, and immediately I felt the sinus pressure let up within me, and the liquid slide down my throat, and my headache had vanished in that moment, and physical strength that I had lost had revived. And I looked at my wife, Jay, and said, I just started to praise God for healing me instantly. I said, babe, look at this. God healed me instantly. And that was over three to four years ago. I believe in the power of praying together. And this doesn't mean that God will heal every situation the same way. There are certain things we pray for that may not be healed on this side of heaven. But by his stripes, we are healed. But that day, I experienced his healing within corporate prayer. See, these believers prayed, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal. It, healing is God's sovereign choice. God's power is released in and through a praying church. The power of God operates through a praying church. Signs and wonders, salvation and healing, praise and adoration all take place within the context of a praying church. Can I get an amen online? We can either pray, believe, and receive, or we can pray, doubt, and do without. But God operates in and through a praying church. This is why we gather in prayer meetings, to raise our voices together in prayer. Not only did these believers raise their voices together in prayer, but they reminded themselves of who was in charge. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices to God. 
It says, Sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. You see, this is the kind of prayer that our Heavenly Father honors. Sovereign Lord. Lord is the Greek term despota. It's where we get the English word despot. It denotes someone in complete authority. Here it refers to God the Father who is omnipotent, all-powerful. These believers directed their gaze toward the sovereignty of God. What do you do when you don't know what else to do? You look up to the one who created everything, including the religious leaders who are threatening them. They understood their circumstances as a part of God's divine providence because nothing really ever happens to us without God's permission. How do you make sense out of no sense? You look up. This is why the devil could not attack Job without God's permission. That distressing spirit could not attack King Saul without God's permission. There is nothing this pandemic can do to any of us without God's permission. God is in charge. They understood God is the author of life who doesn't make mistakes. It says, for truly, look at verse 27 and 28. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predetermined to take place. For God had predetermined or predestined this plan, not man. And what this simply means is that God is the author of every page of our lives. Before time, God had already orchestrated a plan of salvation. The drama of redemption was already played out from the beginning to the end in the mind of God before it was manifested in time. That's incredible. So when Jesus was rejected by the religious leaders and crucified on the cross, God didn't say, oops. God knew it was going down that way because that's the way he wrote the script. <laughs> Jesus said, in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will. Prepare a body for me, Father. I will go. In other words, Jesus' death on the cross for us was God's decision, not Herod or Pontius Pilate's. Let us take tremendous comfort in the fact that nothing ever really happens to us without God's permission. Everything is under God's radar. Even God will even use our enemies to, to bring us closer to our destiny. Oh, yes, he will. Trust me, that person on your job getting on your last nerves, that person is there for a reason. This indeed is a paradox. The enemies of Christ only performed that which God wanted them to perform. Jesus came to die. He, watch this, he laid down his life and no one takes it from him. Mark chapter 10. Judas Iscariot, the chief priest, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Roman soldiers, the Herod, King Herod, Pontius Pilate were only pawns on God's proverbial chessboard. And God had them all in checkmate. Derek Thomas says, for these early Christians, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, the doctrine of predestination brought them the insurance that everything, that all of history 
every event, every detail, every circumstance, all the good things, all the bad things, all the evil things are all part and parcel of God's plan and purpose. So whatever you're going through right now, just know that God is in the know. He is sovereign. He is in control. I know it hurts. But the scripture says, cast all of your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Amen? These first century believers reminded themselves who was in charge. But they also recited scripture in prayer. Praying scripture is foundational. For these believers prayed through the first portion of Psalm 1. Why do the nations rage and the, king, the kings of the earth set themselves up against the Lord and against his anointed one? They didn't have a scroll open at the time that they were praying this prayer. They simply prayed and cried out the content of their heart. These first century believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, but they were also full of the Holy Scriptures. Stephen and Acts didn't have the scroll open in his hand when he was preaching God's word in Acts 7. He was so saturated in God's word that he had preached the content of his heart. Your word have I hidden in my heart, O Lord, that I might not sin against you. The Lord promised that his word would not return to him void. An effective prayer life is rooted and grounded in scripture. These believers prayed scripture for a change. My prayer is that God would give us believers such a boldness and a burden to saturate ourselves in God's word and prayer that we will see a massive move of his spirit and many people will come to know Christ. You see, when we pray scripture, we remind ourselves of God's unshakable promises in his word. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be and want. Praying scripture allows God to direct the content of our prayers. It opens our heart to pray particular prayers, psalms, teachings, hopes that are found in the Bible. It allows God to shape our prayer life through the words of scripture. R.A. Torrey, a masterful uh, devotional writer and godly man, said that there are always two things that go hand in hand. Prayer and the study of the word of God. For there is no true prayer without the study of the word of God, and there is no true study of the word of God without prayer. Prayer and Bible study feed one into the other. Let me help you out. Acts chapter 6. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Then the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Solution. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to what? Prayer and the ministry of the word. Do you see that winning combination there? The combination of prayer and scripture is so vital for the life of the believer that the Apostle Paul mentions them as the final aspect of the believer's armor in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 through 18. Why? The combination of prayer and scripture are the believer's offensive weapon against the enemy, the unseen enemies. The sword of the spirit in prayer is how we fight back. Praying scripture enriches our conversation with God. 
the Bible guides and provides fresh language for us to talk to God. And as we pray God's word, we can have confidence that God is hearing and answering because we have confidence we are praying within his will. John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if any, we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we ask of him. Praying scripture is also a way for us to hear from God in a two-way conversation. Prayer is the language of our hearts to God. To pray is to breathe spiritually. Warren Risby said that, that true prayer is not telling God what to do, but asking God to do his will in us and through us. It is getting God's will done on earth, not man's will done in heaven. This is why we pray scripture. Because Jesus said that if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. John chapter 15. Sarah Kierkegaard once observed that a man prayed and at first he thought that prayer was talking. But more and more he became quiet and in the end he realized that prayer is actually listening. Certainly it's a combination of both. It's a two-way conversation. Yet at the heart of prayer is listening to God. When they raise their voices together in prayer, when we raise our voices together in prayer, when they reminded themselves who is in charge, when we remind ourselves who is in charge, when they recite scripture in prayer, when we recite scripture in prayer, then we're ready for our final challenge. These believers requested for God to change them and not their circumstances. Verse 29 to 30. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, notice that they did not pray, Lord, stop them from threatening us. Fill the Sanhedrin out of office. Lord, remove our enemies from us. Take away the threat. No. Stretch out your hand to destroy your enemies. No. They simply pray, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They didn't beg God to take them out of the situation. They simply asked, God, give us more of what you gave us to get us in trouble in the first place. Give us boldness. Have you ever heard of the saying, prayer changes things? That's true, but let's make it personal. Prayer changes me. Repeat after me. Prayer changes me. I can't hear you, but I believe you're saying it. Before prayer changes anything in my environment, it must first change me. If we're going to grow as disciples of Christ, we have to start with our prayer life. I can't study God's word rightly without spending adequate time in God's word. I cannot love my wife and children adequately without properly spending time in God's word. There is no real change without real prayer. It was like these believers were praying, God, I'm not praying that you would change my circumstances. I'm praying that you would strengthen me in the midst of it. These believers did not pray for God to take them out of it. Don't give me life jackets, Lord. I don't want that. Give me power to get through it. These believers prayed scripture for a change. It was a change from fear to faith, from doubt to devotion, from 
concern to courage, from risk to greater risk. The American clergyman Philip Brooks said, I do not pray for a lighter load, but for a stronger back. May this become the prayer of our hearts. Even in Jesus' high priestly prayer, he says, don't take them out of this world, but sanctify them through your word, John chapter 17. They did not ask for alleviation of their situation, but greater courage to share Christ in the midst of adversity. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. They pray for boldness to continue the Father's business. They pray for divine enablement to fulfill the Great Commission. Threats will not stop us. Richard Niebuhr gives us a pattern for prayer whenever we're faced with difficult circumstances. Repeat after me and you're wherever you are. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. We pray to obey God, not to play God. We pray not to change God's mind, but to change our own. Not to command God, but to let God command us. We pray, let God be God. Prayer is our obedience to God, even when we ask God for things, for God has commanded us to ask. Matthew chapter 7. These believers prayed with a strong sense of urgency and fervency and expectancy. And this is how he taught his disciples to pray. Jesus says, when you pray, say, ask, and it shall be given to you. Five college students were spending time in London on a Sunday, so they went to hear the famed Charles Hatton Spurgeon preach. Many call him the Prince of Preachers. While waiting for the doors to open the The students were greeted by a man who asked, gentlemen, let me show you around. How would you like to see the heating plant of this church? They were not particularly interested, for it was a hot day in July. But they didn't want to offend the strangers, so they consented. The young men were taken down a stairway, and the door quietly opened. And their guide whispered, this is our heating plant. Surprised, the students noticed they saw 700 people bowed in prayer, seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin in the auditorium above. Softly closing the door, the gentleman then introduced himself. It was none other than Charles Spurgeon. You see, it was not the preaching of Charles Spurgeon that created massive revival in his community. It was the faithful gathering of these believers every Sunday, bowed down, united in prayer, relying on the Holy Spirit to touch every person walking through the doors of that church. Rightly so, Pastor Spurgeon attributed the success of his congregation to the prayer, to that prayer furnace, not the pulpit. It was the prayers of the saints via the Holy Spirit that brought power in the pulpit. There is no effective preaching without prayer, and there is no effective prayer without the Holy Spirit. In Spurgeon's eyes, the prayer meeting was the most important meeting of the week. I wonder what would happen to many churches today in our communities when we decide to pray like that, when we create prayer furnaces in the church before the preached word of God. Look at what happens when they pray. God answers prayer. The Bible says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. 
the Spirit of God had filled them for the bold proclamation of his word, the gospel. What we see here is really a manifestation of God's power and authority. They prayed for God to stretch out his hand. Not only did he stretch out his hand, but he shook up the whole environment. The place where they were gathered was shaken. It was an earthquake. I wonder what would happen if we would gather in prayer on a consistent basis, husband and wife, member with other members, teens with their peers, servant leaders with volunteers, pastors and deacons, creating what I call prayer quakes. And God may not shake our building, but he will shift our thinking and shape the way we do future ministry. Amen. I firmly believe that on the basis of all that I've studied and lived, Personal and corporate prayer releases the power of God in our lives to do the kind of ministry that honors God. These believers had that kind of corporate prayer life that shook buildings. May we cultivate that prayer life together that shaped neighborhoods for Jesus. And guess what? Christ is the same today as he was yesterday, and he will be forevermore. The power of God must infuse everything we do or we do it in vain. Therefore, we should constantly be asking God to work through us in tangible, visible, and undeniable ways in order to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. They raised their voices together. They reminded themselves who was in charge. They recited scripture in prayer, and they requested for God to change them and not their circumstances. We're going to experience this kind of power, the power of a praying church, then we must go down on our knees together as a unit and pray like we never prayed before. And as I close, the concluding words of these believers' prayer, verse 30, look at, look at what it says. Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word, stretch out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ came to die for our sins to make us right with God, who is holy and just. Jesus, the one who ascended to the right hand of the Father, forever makes intercession for us, saints, according to his will. Jesus, the one who has given us believers, his Holy Spirit, to help us in our weakness when we don't even know how to pray as we ought to pray your holy servant, Jesus. The only way to experience the power of a praying church if you don't know Christ is to put your faith in him alone for your salvation. And you can do that today. Oh, I wish that we were together right now so that we could pray corporately and in a way we are together virtually, which is strange. But let's take a moment right now, wherever you are, in your house to, to grab arms and to link up and begin to pray corporately for God to cultivate it within you a spirit of prayer, the kind of praying life that honors him. Just take a moment right now. I know we only just have a couple minutes left, but just take a moment now to pray to God with your family, asking God to give you a spirit of prayer that all of us would cultivate that kind of prayer that honors him 
Ask God to shake up your prayer life. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for honoring our prayers right now. And we ask you, Lord, that you will receive them as a sweet-smelling aroma in your nostrils. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your tender mercies. Thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you for the manifestation of your power within your praying church. And Lord, we ask that you would make us a praying church. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the people of God say amen. Amen.